Good evening, Tyler. Thank you so much for joining us on what is now my second episode of Exponential Minds. So this is a podcast that I am doing in partial requirement for a graduate course in my Master's of Education Studies. And I'm researching the effective teacher mindset on student engagement in the mathematics classroom. Now, I know that you are not a mathematics major nor an education major, so those may be jargon terms to you, but by the end of this chat, I think you'll have a much better sense of what they really mean. So Sounds thank you so good. much for joining me, Tyler. If you wouldn't mind, I would love it if you could introduce yourself and just tell me a little bit about you, what you'd like to do, what you're studying and where. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you for having me first. It's, it's an honor. Um, my name is Tyler Hiscock and I'm from Trouty, Newfoundland. I attend Memorial University in St. John's, which um, during these times, I'm, I'm not in St. John's attending classes. I'm mostly in my bedroom. But um, I'm majoring in biology uh, at MON with the hopes of eventually becoming a teacher, getting my education degree. And we'll see where that takes me. <laughs> wow. So this is actually quite relevant to you. I didn't realize that you had your mind set on education at this point in time. So you never know. This might even be applicable to some of the things that you'll be seeing down the road. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> Absolutely. And by the way, I think you would make a fantastic educator. That's a, a great choice if that's the route that you end up taking. Thank you very much. So Tyler, what are your favorite subjects at school, whether that be high school or post-secondary? My favorite subjects, I'll start with high school. In high school, well, I mean, I really enjoyed biology, which is probably what led me to become a biology major. Um, I really like the sciences. I don't know. It's just something about, I really enjoyed learning about composition of things so like biology paired with physics and then add chemistry like i really enjoyed that aspect of it in university um my my favorite courses are the biology courses that i have to take for my degree um every every you start in the, your first year with like your basic biology 1001 1002 and then you get to take electives as you go along and which you're probably very familiar with. But, I am, um, yeah. I'm a perpetual student, so I, I totally <laughs> understand the track. But thank you for our, our other listeners. This is helpful. Yes. So, um, uh, so basically, as you as your years go up and you're closer to getting your degree, you're taking more refined biology courses. So this semester, I'm taking a microbiology course, and I really love bacteria and viruses. So that's that's really fascinating for me. And I'm also doing an inverts course and an, an averts course, which is invertebrates and vertebrate. I think your interest in the viruses comes in a timely matter, given the COVID situation that we are currently in. Yes, very much so. Um, a lot of the course content that we've been learning this semester, the professor directly relates it to COVID. And I think that makes it a little bit easier to understand whether that be the course content or COVID itself. I'm learning new concepts and learning more about COVID, even though it's been here since March. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know what? I think we kind of all are, whether we study it directly or not. So this is awesome. I'm glad to hear that your professor is keeping it real world and topical for you guys. That's that's very helpful in times like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Tyler, Definitely. what math courses have you taken at the post-secondary level so far? At the post-secondary level, I've done um, Math 1000, and I did Statistics 2550, which I guess you could consider a math course. It's, it's statistics. Most so. definitely. Um, did you, did you <laughs> enjoy your experiences in those courses? I really enjoyed Math 1000. Um, well, the thing with Math 1000 is I did it in high school as well. I did the calculus course, the 3208 or 3206, whatever it is, in high school, and I didn't pass CPT. Okay. So I went into Math 1000 already with a mindset of what it's going to be 
So I found I enjoyed it a lot more because instead of learning new concepts, it was just getting those concepts back into my brain. Hmm, that's an interesting thought. Um, and also very good to know. So yeah. did you feel like statistics was a similar experience or did you feel outside of your comfort zone there? Statistics was a very different experience. I actually failed the statistics course. Um, I, I did it over this past summer, so it was all online. I thought it would have made my learning easier because it was more go at your own pace, but actually without like the having the prof there like teaching it to me, it was all teach yourself. I um yeah, I, I didn't thrive as much with statistics. Okay, interesting. So when you say it was teach yourself, was this an asynchronous situation where you just had all the notes online and you had to go through it? Were there any synchronous online classes with a professor guiding you? Um, there, it was all asynchronous, so I did have to learn the material on my own, but there were, um, tutorials with the TAs. Okay. So they, so they would, if you had any questions, you could pop on and ask a TA. Um, they did, we had labs with that course as well. So, um, our lab instructors also acted as a tutor in its own, in, in their own way. So for the lab work in that particular course, what did they entail? Did you just do questions similar to what you would have done in the notes? Or did you have like certain experimental variables to work with and you had to solve real world problems? I actually, with the labs, I uh, personally, I didn't see how it connected with the course because the labs were completely done on our computers, which is, you know, typical in a COVID world. Mm -hmm. But it was this coding program and it was supposed to make the statistics part of statistics easier, but we weren't allowed to use the program in our schoolwork. Oh, you felt that it was a little bit disjoint? Yes, very much so. And like the thing with the labs is they weren't mandatory. Oh, also very interesting. Yeah. So it was an yeah. entirely optional, almost like an extracurricular, I guess, where you had to learn a coding language as well. Is that correct? Yes, it was it was very difficult for me who I don't have very much computer like knowledge. So so being put on, you know, we were like we are now, like face to face, and the lab instructor would share her screen, and it was this coding program, and every lab you just learned new codes in order to like find the different statistics for things. Ah, do you recall the coding language by chance? I can probably pull it up real quick because I have the app still on my laptop. R Studio, I believe it's called. Okay, so it was probably in R coding. I'm a big yes. advocate for for coding and programming. Um, my previous career was actually doing a lot of mathematical programming as a physical oceanographer, and I try to build that into my courses, particularly my science and math courses, and also my technology courses, largely because it creates a level of critical thinking and a different method of problem solving. So for my first master's degree, I actually wrote a thesis and a large part of that was mathematical programming. So I was kind of trying to find a way to compute how things drifted in the Atlantic Ocean based on the ocean currents. So it was all physics and math kind of tied together that met in a programming world. So for me, I totally saw the value of programming in that I kind of had to teach myself as I went. I had no background or very little background prior to starting the thesis. Um, but what I learned from that was how resourceful I could be myself, how to solve problems by digging and trying to find that information, and by applying it to things that were relevant to me solving that particular problem. So it sounds to me like you didn't get a similar experience with your coding. Do you feel like it could have been presented to you in such a manner that it would have been something you could have taken into the future and made use of it? Yes, 100%. I feel like if it was incorporated into the course material, so like the lecture component, 
versus the lab component. Um, I feel like if we were allowed to use those kind of programs on our exams and our homework, I think I would have grasped a better understanding and it would have made the whole course a whole lot easier in my opinion because three three clicks on a keyboard versus 20 minutes on a question with a calculator, it, it definitely adds up, you know, time-wise. It definitely does. I could not agree more. So that leads me to my next question. So if you feel like it could have been used as a tool within the course, do you feel that it's necessary or important at least to understand what that computer code would be doing for you by doing the manual calculations? In a similar question, I guess I could ask you, do you feel it's necessary to be able to understand what your calculator does for you when you push the buttons? Yes. So I think like in order for you to understand, because the way the labs would work is they kind of started a week after the lectures did. So the first lab was reflecting on the first week of the lectures. Mm -hmm. So in the first week of the lectures, you would learn your basics with the calculator and then it'd be converted into the, the, the application uh, and the lab instructor would um, show you how to do the calculations you were doing the week prior on the computer. The only issue was it, there was just no reflection between the two. Ah. Like you, would, you would learn on the labs, but you wouldn't actually apply that knowledge. Yes, I see where you're coming from. And I think reflection is a really great word, a good term to use here. If you're not reflecting on the two methods and how they tie together, I, I totally see why you would have the frustration of not really seeing the relationship. Yes. Um, so Tyler, I know that you've had mixed experiences in your math classrooms. What about in high school? Was that something that you looked forward to? Did you enjoy it? In high school, I did really well in math. Um, I, uh, in grade 10, I was actually approached by one of my teachers and they asked if I would like to go into the advanced math route of, of, of high school math. So, um, in grade 11 and grade 12, I did the advanced math on CDLI okay. and then in grade 12, I also did the calculus class, um, alongside the advanced math for grade 12. I genuinely enjoyed math in high school. I, I don't know, like. It was just something about it. Like I, I love math in general anyway. Like I love formulas. I love that sort of thing. But um, and I think it might have had a little bit to do with the CDLI aspect too, like just get away from everyone else. But no, I I did look forward to my math classes in high school. Interesting. So you're pointing out that you've done almost all of your math courses since high school online. So that's not a really big transition for you in terms of how you're learning right now in the COVID world. Um, yeah. But you also pointed out that you like to be doing the CDLI components because it took you away from other people. So clearly you don't see math as a social concept, do you? No, not at all. Uh, well, more so because when I used to have math, I would be the only person in the CDLI room at my school. So it was just, you know, I'd have my have my friends on the computer and my instructor, but I wouldn't have the background noise and the people around me. It was just very calming. Ah, interesting. So it's almost therapeutic then. Yes. Nice. I, I feel very much the same way, you know. If I'm working through a problem set, whether it be in physics, chemistry, or math, I, there's something calming about that, and there's something very satisfying about the peace and quiet that comes with it. I totally agree. So, Tyler, would you say that you believe that you feel you're good at math? I, I do feel I'm good at math. In certain concepts of math, I should say, because in my in my grade 12 year of high school, when I first learned about derivatives in calculus, 
I did not have any clue what I was doing. Like, I genuinely, I, I sat down with my the high school math teacher at my school, and there was times there was tears coming out of my eyes because I just could not get derivatives down. But um, I, the thing with math is practice, you know? You can't just take a concept straight from the screen, in my case, and apply it to a test. You do have to practice. So once I did begin practicing things, I learned I learned how they worked instead of just how examples looked. But yeah, no, I feel like I'm good at math when I practice. Okay, so practice is an important term. So what do you feel your purpose is when you are in a math class? When I'm in a math class, well, my purpose when I enter any classroom is to learn, Lindsay. <laughs> well, of I course. really want to learn. But with math, yeah, the purpose is just always to learn. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's no other way to put it, I guess. Okay. Do you learn for the joy of learning or because you need to learn to finish the program that you plan to study? Now, that's a tricky question. <laughs> Isn't it? I'm full of loaded questions here this evening. I'm just very intrigued about your thought process. Because um, if I enjoy a concept, then I'm when I'm practicing and when I'm doing homework, I'm genuinely enjoying what I'm doing. So let's take biology, for an instance. When I'm studying for biology... I don't have any qualms about studying. Like, I don't mind it. I'll get my cup of tea and I'll go ahead and study. But when it comes to something else that I don't enjoy studying, that's more like a chore and I have to push myself to do it. That makes perfectly good sense. I feel the same way about things I enjoy doing versus not. For example, if I can do one of my hobbies, I love doing that. Whereas if I had to clean my house, not so much. So, I mean, motivation <laughs> is very, yes, intrinsic, isn't it? <laughs> Okay, so my next question then is, do you feel like your teachers in high school and your professors at the post-secondary level believe that everyone can achieve in your math classes? Believe that everybody can achieve? Yes. I think um, I, I will be the advocate to say high school and university are two completely separate worlds. Because in high school, it's so one-on-one. -on -one. You know, um, in my case, I did CDLI, so it was probably me and 20 other people. But for my other classmates, it was eight people and one teacher. So if you're having trouble with a concept, it's, you know, it's very one-on-one. -on -one. The teacher can come over and help you. In university, that's not, you know, the case. Mm -hmm. You could be in a lecture hall with 250 other people learning about derivatives in Math 1000. But um, can they all achieve? I feel like teachers, they want their students to achieve and they want their, their students to succeed and do their best. But not everybody's on the same learning level. And some people need that extra that extra boost from the instructor in order to do well. And others don't. And I okay. feel like the sooner, you know, many profs at MUN have, have, have learned that over their years teaching. But I feel like some of the newer profs do not understand that yet. And uh, just from my own experiences, I feel like they they need to take a step back and just look at the classroom and the students as people and not their student number. Right. Okay. So this, this brings me to some very interesting discussion pieces. Um, so what usually happens in your math class if someone makes a mistake? Does the professor make a negative comment about that or use it as a learning opportunity? And how does that compare to high school? I find in university, um, the, teach, the, prop, the professor would typically use it as a learning tool. So they'd say, that's a very good mistake to have made in class because I can show you where you went wrong and how to reverse your operations in order to get to the right answer. 
Um, the same goes for high school, except for high school, I feel like there's more of a explanation to it. Um, it see, the thing with Mon is, and any university, I guess, across the world, it really depends on your prof. You know, your learning experience depends on who is teaching you. And that's why I think Rate My Profs is the best website on the internet. Because anytime, <laughs> every time I'm picking my courses, I look through all of those ratings just to make sure I'm going to get a nice person. Okay, so you're looking for a nice person yes. um, over someone with years and years of experience who may be an expert in their field. Is that right? That's that's correct. Um, usually, I I not just some not as much nice as understanding. Okay. So some, someone who understands that students have lives outside of their schoolwork. You know, you could you could get a professor who's been teaching at Mon for forty years. They've done X amount of studies on in their field. They do lab work. But if they're not a nice person and they're not understanding that you had the worst flu of your life and you just couldn't get that assignment done, they don't care. Right. Right. But, but uh, yeah, that's that's my mindset with that. Like, I would rather have a prof that's been only at Mon for five years who is probably 35 years old, you know, not too old. Like, just someone who someone who respects me as a person. There you go. That, I think, is key. And I feel like... You know, having respect for people is universal. It's not just something that we look for in our educators or the people that inspire us, but, you know, the people that we associate with in general in our lives. Yes. And at the same time, I feel like I should, like, be specific with, like, I just because a prof has been at MUN for 40 years doesn't mean they're going to be cruel towards students. I've met, some, I've met some profs that have taught at MUN for 40 plus years, and and they are the nicest profs that I've had. So, like... I think it, it all has to do with the person. You don't look at a prof and you think, you know, teacher. You look at a prof and you think person, just like the prof should be looking at the students as people. I love that. I love that thought. Tyler, have you ever heard tell of something called the growth mindset? I have not. Could you take a stab at what you think that might mean? The growth mindset. Um, if I had to guess, it would probably be something to do with expanding your mindset but growing at the same time. So learning new things and using the things that you learn for growth. Oh, oh, you're so good. This is awesome. So <laughs> the entire theme of our discussion today is the growth mindset. And the, the title of the podcast is Exponential Minds in reference to something that rapidly grows. So it comes from a researcher named Carol Dweck, and she does a lot of work in the field of education and psychology. So in a growth mindset, according to Carol, People believe that their most basic abilities can be developed through dedication and hard work. Brains and talent are just a starting point. This view creates a love of learning and a resilience that is essential for great accomplishment. So Tyler, do you feel that you hold a growth mindset? I would like to think that I do. Okay. Like personally, I'd like to think that I do hold a growth mindset. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd like to think that. <laughs> You'd like to think that. Yes, I think a lot of us would. And and I feel like it might be something that we can work towards. And it's not necessarily a a fixed being, you know, it's 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 a living thing. You can kind of improve on your growth mindset in time. So do you feel like your teachers and professors have held growth mindsets over the years? That goes back to the question of who. Uh, yet again, um, there I can... I can think of all mo the majority of my high school teachers, they did hold a growth mindset. Some of them did not, but um, I feel like the growth mindset is less common at the university 
simply because of what I talked about earlier, you get you get professors who are right to the book. You know, you're a student first person second. And but you also get those professors who genuinely care about you. Absolutely. So people who people who push you, you may not get an A in the class, but if you're getting a C, but you're still learning, that's all they really care about. Right. And that I think that is that is key, isn't it? That really makes the learning experience more beneficial, more productive, more positive. Yes, 100 percent. Amazing. So just one big summary question now. And this one's a doozy. I'm warning you. Okay. <laughs> so if you could change one thing, just one thing about the way your math classes have run, what would it be? Oh my goodness. <laughs> hey, I warned you. <laughs> so are we talking about are we talking about high school, university, or just in general? I think universally. In Univers general, from high school into post-secondary or specifically one, whatever you prefer. Um, well, like I said, I had a really positive experience with um, you know, math in high school, besides besides derivatives, which we won't talk about. <laughs> but, um uh, in university, I find one thing that I would probably change about math classes in university, like more, I, I, I know this would be hard in a university setting, but just l smaller class sizes. You know, that is so interesting. Um, in our first podcast episode, this is actually what our first guest brought up as well, the class oh, uh, sizes. So if you'd like to elaborate on that, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, so the class sizes, like I said earlier at Mon, 250 people in a lecture hall, one prof, and if you raise your hand in the back of the class, you're probably not going to be seen. If you just cut that into like one-fifth, 50 people in a room with a prof, in your 50-minute time span of a class, which you have four times a week, you are way more likely to get more one-on-one -on -one time with the person who is teaching you what you're supposed to be learning versus if you're one out of 250 in the same setting, just the same time frame. It's just the more people, the less time you get one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And I really think, you know, some of my smaller classes that I've had, I've learned more. Sure. So I guess that kind of comes back to what you liked about the CDLI experience in high school too, hey? Yes, 100%. Yeah. And of course, I mean, as you said, sometimes in the larger classes, you do get those professors that go out of their way and really try to connect with their students. But it's certainly challenging. And I can speak as an educator. You know, if I have a larger class, it's much harder to get to know all the details about my students, as opposed to when I have a nice small class size where I can get to know all kinds about their personal lives, what they like, dislike, where their interests are, and all that sort of thing. Exactly. And this isn't related to math but I can speak on the class size situation. Um, up until my first semester of my second year, all of my classes had been, you know, jam-packed with people, uh, no wiggle room, like just so many people for one person to handle. Mm -hmm. And it was a real awakening moment for me when I attended, it, I believe it was my cell biology class in my first semester. And I remember the professor and it was probably maybe 30 people in the classroom. And when I walked in on the first day, I was like, wow, this is going to be different. And it was just so amazing. Like, a real heartwarming moment was when the professor called me by name. Wow. Yeah, like, he, he I rose my hand and he said my name. I was like, okay, this is different, but I really like this change. Yeah, so the social-emotional piece is definitely key. Yes, 100%. Amazing. Tyler, thank you so much for your time this evening. Your insight has been very, very helpful. And I'm sure our listeners have found some very interesting information in our discussion as well.
Thank you very much for having me, Lindsay. It was a pleasure. Thank you and take care and good luck with your biology. And I certainly hope to be teaching side by side with you at some point in my career. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers. Have a great night. Bye-bye.